Most people see a heritage overlay or heritage listing as finite. If Heritage Victoria want to label a house heritage because of it being typical of the era, it's designed by a distinctive architect, or it has an overlay that's consistent with the streetscape, then you really don't have a leg to stand on if you want to make significant changes to the property. Or do you? Today, we are going to find out how a stubborn property developer managed to get her family home of 59 years off the Heritage Register. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your host is Sue Langda. Real Copyright, together with Real Estate Right, is here to help educate agents, buyers, sellers, renters and investors in all facets of the real estate industry. We talk to economists, market leaders in real estate, financial and legal people to find out exactly what's going on in the market, what's needed in the market and everything in between. If you want blog articles or would like to be a guest expert on Real Estate Right to boost your market position, give us a call on 5977-889 to find out more. Helen Skorik has a family history in Fitzroy North that goes back to 1963. Her immigrant parents bought the double-fronted Victorian home after working in Gertrude Street, Fitzroy, at the Blue Danube restaurant where they invited Yugoslav migrants to live in their back bungalow while they worked out where they would settle in Melbourne. Helen is now a property developer and director of Paramini Proprietary Limited and has 25 years' experience in all types of domestic renovations, extensions and new builds. So welcome, Helen. How are you? Great. Hi, Sue. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, thanks for coming to do this case study today. We're, now, we're talking about the removal of a heritage listing of a family legacy. So, you've managed to do that, haven't you? Well, yes, I have, and I was quite successful, and it wasn't actually really, really that hard. I suppose you really need to think a little out of the box rather than in the box, um, and if you do, you really do find the answers. Sounds good. So we're going to go deeper into that as we go through this podcast. So in the introduction, I told our listeners a little bit about your family story, but explain to us about the type of home your parents bought, the memories and your, what your neighbours ended up doing. Okay, well, my parents bought the the house in North Fitzroy back in 1963 and I was about three weeks old when we'd moved into the house. My parents were immigrants from Europe who migrated out here in the 50s and North Fitzroy was their first and only house um, and chose to live there till they left this earth. Um, So mum and dad purchased that house back in 63, North Fitzroy being a very... I suppose, a workers' class area in those days, um, not what it is today. Um, So once they bought the house as a family, we lived there, my mum, dad, brother and I. And um, over the years, being an old house that was built back in 1908, uh, when my parents had purchased the house, uh, there was an extension done in the backyard sometime back in the 50s. So the extension came with the uh, front part of the house, which consisted of a hallway, a bedroom to the left, bedroom to the right, 
one open space area and a little kitchen with a toilet and bathroom out in the backyard. And uh, I suppose mum called it a laundry room. It was a little room just off the side there where mum had a washing machine. So that was the front part of the house and the back consisted of two other rooms, kitchen and then the backyard, of course. So over the years, um, not having hot water, not having a toilet in the inside the house, not having a bathroom inside the house. It was, I suppose, fun growing up um, in one way. I mean, now when I look back, they're beautiful memories and I wouldn't change them for the world. You know, having all this modern stuff today and, you know, en suites and as a child I had to run out the backyard to go to the toilet and, and mum would wrap me in a towel and run me through the backyard into the house next to a kerosene heater to warm me up. So, you know, gradually over the years, uh, dad decided to modernise the house. And what he ended up doing is um, he got sick and tired the first few years of purchasing the house, always painting the weatherboards on the outside, the, the cladding, you know, with the sun and the wind and the rain, the wear and the tear. So dad decided to do the vinyl cladding, which he cladded the whole house from the outside with the vinyl. And that for him was a solution of never having to paint, never having to, you know, do any more work on the outside of the house, which, you know, that was done probably about 40 odd years ago. And it looks like it was done last week. It still looks good. Anyway, soon after that, he decided, well, you know, I don't want fireplaces. I left Europe where I had to run out for wood and light a fire half an hour, take an hour to warm up. So, Dad chose to get a kerosene heater and I remember running to the milk bar buying kerosene in those days. Well, we went up from that to a heater, one of those Vulcan heaters um, over the years. Then he decided, well, I'm not going to be painting the windows, you know, those old-fashioned windows that need sanding, that need painting every so often. Dad pulls out all the original windows and puts in his aluminium windows. <laughs> it's very typical of those years, isn't it? Well, it is. Um, so the fireplaces are removed, you know, the windows are removed, the cladding outside's removed. He even said, oh, bugger this, and he removed the rosettes because it was too hard when he wanted to paint. Trying to get a roller over the rosettes up on the ceilings wasn't easy. Did he reduce the uh, height of the ceilings? Because some homeowners do that because it's too hot to rise um, because heat rises and all the heat ends up at the top half the ceiling well yes he did he did drop the ceilings and he dropped the ceilings because he just couldn't keep the place warm Mm. so he put in a fake ceiling between the original ceiling and it was like a floating ceiling between you know the original that actually gave you warmth you know and the room wouldn't take up that long to warm up so yes he did that so in a nutshell anything that was heritage about the house back in those days dad had literally pulled out destroyed and there was nothing heritage about it so at the end of the day when you look at the house the only heritage thing that is left in that house is the two bedroom doors to the left and to the right when you walk in and they are they've been there since 1908 with the actual old um, doorknobs which are the brass ones which uh, now that I'm knocking the house down I will be taking those and keeping them as memories cool um so when did you find out that it was heritage listed 
Well, my dad passed in uh, Christmas of 2011 and um, I inherited the house and so did my younger sibling. I have got one younger sibling and um, the reason my father never sold the house is because he always saw the potential in North Fitzroy and just refused to move. He always used to say this is going to be the northern suburbs Turak, you know, version. And he just could see that vision, never wanted to sell, never wanted to move and um, just stayed there. So when he passed on into 11, he always had a dream of either extending or doing something to the house or building or whatever, but not having the knowledge, not having the money, not having the language, not having, having all those barriers, he wasn't able. So... I suppose um, he always hoped that one of his children would and it just happened to be it was going to be me and not my brother. Um, He chose another path in life and I chose uh, the part that sort of is going to let me build the houses that I'm building at the moment. So uh, as far as the heritage listing goes... When I started, uh, when I handed over my, well, my ideas to an architect back in um, 2014 is when I started all this, um, we had found out, I always assumed and thought that being North Fitzroy, it was a heritage overlay. Well, Lord and behold, not long after, we find out that it's actually heritage listed. And when I heard that, I just thought, there is absolutely nothing heritage about this house. Mm. And when I'd spoken to um, my architect, I said, how can my house be heritage listed? Basically, um, you know, really, the way they list heritage houses these days is someone just walks past your house and they say, right, yep, okay, it was built in that that year, and they just tick a box and say, yep, heritage listed, without walking through the front door to see if there is anything heritage about it. So back in 2014 is when I found out it was heritage listed. It would have been a bit of a shock, wouldn't it? Well, it was because I know what heritage listed houses mean these days and I just thought, oh my God. (laughs) That's a great overview, Helen, for uh, giving us uh, an idea of how this all happened. Um, After the break, we will talk about Helen and how she removed the heritage listing from her parents' home. You're listening to Real Estate Right, and we had the very clever Helen Skorik, a property developer, on to tell us her story about how she removed a heritage listing off her parents' home. So, Helen, how did you remove the heritage listing off your property? Well, so knowing that there was nothing heritage about the house, and someone had walked past and ticked a box and said, yes, it's heritage listed, what I decided to do is... Um, Engage a heritage architect. Mm-hmm. Now, a heritage architect specialises in heritage-listed houses. So if anyone knows what they're talking about, it's him. So I engaged a chap by the name of John Briggs, who is actually a heritage-listed architect, great guy. Um, he'd come through the house, did a report, looked at everything, and actually turned back, called me and said, Helen, you're right, there is absolutely nothing about that house that's heritage-listed. He goes, I'm going to state that in my report and make that very clear to the council that the house is not a heritage house. So got over that obstacle and um, sent that heritage listing report into the council because you've got to remember, I can't 
go to my architect. I can't design any houses. I can't do anything until I've removed the heritage listing because you could be spending all this money in the end for nothing. So can I just ask, did you send that to Heritage Victoria or did you send that to just the local council? It was my local can- council, which okay. is the city of Yarra. It's, it's them that it needs to go to your okay. local council. So once I sent it to the local council, they turned around and it said to me, nope, no, no good, not interested, it's still heritage listed. And I thought, oh, my God, what they actually wanted me to do, they said, we'll give you a permit to extend, we'll give you a permit to build, we'll give you a permit to renovate, we'll give you a permit for everything other than demolishing the house. I said, thank you very much, and I walked out. So when I sat down, and this is what I mean, you have to think out of the box. How can I renovate this house? How can I do anything to this house knowing the condition it's in? The house was built in 1908. The house had never, ever been restumped. That means the house was actually sitting on soil. Now, my dad, being of European background, every time the house moved, he just poured concrete and stuck tiles on top. So never, ever restumped it. So the house, the walls were actually sitting on soil. So, you know, trying to do any extensions above or out or anything was, it just didn't come into the equation. So I thought, how do I get around that? Then I thought about it and I thought, okay, maybe I should engage an engineer to give me a report to go through the house and see how structural the house is for the renovation that the council wants me to do. Well, I engaged an engineer who had, um, and and I I think at that time, back in 2014, I paid something like $600. So it wasn't even, you know, some big bucks, nor was the heritage architect, to to be honest. I think it probably cost me around three or $4,000 in total to remove it to engage these two professionals. I mean, I must say it was back in 2014. So what he had done is he had gone through the house, looked at it inside out, upside down, went through it with a fine tooth comb and rang me up and said, Helen, I would never, ever put my signature or name to any works on this house, such as renovations, extensions, etc., etc." He goes, you're lucky the wind hasn't blown it away. <laughs> so I was about to say the big bag wolf <laughs> hasn't blown it away. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, it's still standing now because I'm about to demolish. I mean, when these rains are coming down and winds, I'm just hoping the roof won't fly off and the walls. But um, then armed with that report, with my heritage report, with the two reports, I went back into the council and said, well, here you go. Um, here's a report from a structural engineer <clears throat> that has actually said it's, he's actually condemned it. He has actually said that he wouldn't put his name or his signature to any works done on this house. Well, when I left that with him, a few days later, I get a phone call from a girl in the, in the Yarra Council who says, well, look, we've gone through your paperwork and um, yes, we do recognise that uh, the house can't be renovated or what have you. Um, yes, we recognise that there's nothing um, heritage. We're gladly, we'll gladly give you the demolition permit. Yay. <laughs> exactly. So it was a little bit of running around. It was a little bit, but it's not impossible. You need to know what you're doing, what your house is and where you're going and just think outside that box. Sound advice, I think. Okay, so in terms of people who helped you, you had the the architect and the structural engineer. Um, So at what stage – so it's taken you like eight years now to get to this next stage 
what's going on now? Well, it, I did stop once my my I, my designs were finished back in uh, May of of two seventeen. Um, everything was done, ready to go at that point and stage. But um, I just had a few problems in between there, um, and then of course I started again end of uh, two nineteen, and then we were hit with Corona. So twenty twenty was a waste, and twenty twenty one was a waste. So. Um, I started late last year again and I'm just in the process now of getting my building permits um, and a few other bits and pieces and because I have engaged a a builder but he's unfortunately a Sydney builder and he's just in the process of obtaining his Sydney licence and the warranty. We anticipate knocking the house down hopefully within the next three, four weeks followed by commencement of the build by 1 August. Now, I remember you telling me that uh, to get your plans um, approved, you had to sort of say it had a bit of a Victorian twist. You have to really, really engage yourself with the right people and um, never try and cut corners because if you do, it always costs you a lot of money at the end. Rather pay up the, the, the amount up front, have professionals who can guide you and think outside that box again. What I did was I've designed two houses. They're back-to-back because I'm fortunate enough to have the the frontage and the back laneway, which is a double lane, which, by the way, has been named after my father. So, yes, I'm quite thrilled about that. So, um, anyway, so what, what, um, what I did was when we did do the design and we did sell it to the council... We called it a Victorian terrace, being North Fitzroy, with a modern twist. Now, when you look at it, it's three levels, like a Victorian terrace. It's eight metres wide, like a Victorian terrace, but it's just a modern Victorian terrace. Um, So it sort of fits into North Fitzroy because... We can call it a Victorian terrace, but it's a new one with a modern twist on it, if that makes sense. Yes. Now, I've seen their plans and, uh, yes, it's it's definitely a modern twist. Um, and, yeah, you've also gone to the height of the chimney of the pub next door, haven't yeah. you? Yes, I have a pub next door and I was fortunate enough to go as high as the chimney. So in actual fact, I'm higher than the pub, which is a double story. My neighbours to the right-hand side have also built, I suppose, two townhouses, which is just, you know, two levels. I'm higher than them. So, and I've just actually had a drone up there not long ago. I've got a beautiful city skyline view off my rooftop terrace. And each house has a hundred square meters of rooftop terrace overlooking the city skyline. That's impressive. (laughs) So Helen, can you give us some great tips on how you can remove your heritage listing of a property for anyone else who's in the same boat? Okay, um, look, I can give you the four tips. And um, one of the tips is working very, very closely with your council. And you need to establish a good communication. Never go in making out that you know everything. In actual fact, it works to your disadvantage. Make out that you know nothing. 
Because if you start telling the council things, that's when they arc up and that's when they get a bee in their bonnet and they won't work with you. They will work against you. Now, the other thing that I also did with the council was every time I sat down for a meeting with the council and we discussed, for example, the nine metre, uh, the, the height of the houses that are, are just on nine metres, and they said to me in one conversation that I can go to the tip of the chimney of the pub. I documented that in my, in my notes at the meeting. I went back to the office, typed them up and sent them through to the council and asked them to sign off our conversation today. Now, after a several meetings, they did turn around and say to me, oh, well, you know, nine metres. I said, well, hang on. We discussed this in our last meeting. Here's the memo. You signed off and you agreed to it. And that's when they turned around and said, well, okay, okay, let's move forward then. <laughs> so if you document it, don't do it a week or two or a month later. Do it the same day. But you've got to establish that rapport with them and then they will willingly sign it for you when you do send it. But if you don't have that rapport, they'll just ignore it. They won't sign it and they won't commit to it. So it's all about creating a rapport with your council. Yep. Sounds like good advice there. What's your number two? Okay, my number two point is never cut quarters, corners. I know we all want to save money where we can, but I have found in life and through building and through development that if you try to save the money in the beginning, in the end, you end up paying. So if you arm yourself always with professionals, whether they're builders, whether they're surveyors, whether they're engineers, whoever they are, lawyers, it will pay off in the long run. So you're number three. My number three advice to everybody would be is get to know your neighbours. Okay, you need to know your neighbours. You need to establish a rapport. You need to actually even be friends with your neighbours if that's at all possible. Because where a lot of developments uh, and, and, and builds uh, have hiccups is the objection of neighbours. Once you get one objection, two objections, three, you, all you need is one. You can be tied up in VCAT and then, of course, it can last 12 months, 18 months, it, God knows how long. I was lucky enough that when I put in my town planning permit, I did not have one objection. I advertised for 28 days and within two months I had my town planning permit. So it was as simple as that. And that the reason for that was, was I spoke to my neighbours. I told my neighbours what I was doing. I told them what I was building. I asked them for their input. So what you need to do is Create a rapport with your neighbours. Make them feel like they're a part of this journey with you as well. Let them know if they've got any problems to let you know directly. You know, make them feel that they are doing this build with you, okay? Don't shut them out. Don't push them away. Don't because that's when they'll arc up and they'll start creating problems. So it's really, really important before you do anything that you establish a good rapport with them. Sounds like good advice for everything in life, isn't it? <laughs> um, now, your number four. Look, my number four tip would be know your project, understand your suburb, understand, understand your surroundings and familiarise, familiarise yourself with your community. Always show empathy and understanding to the people you work with and work for, but never make a decision or a choice based on emotions. Now, what I'm saying with all that is is basically 
If you're building in an area, understand that area. Understand the culture of that area, who you're building for, the type of people, whether it's a, a, you know, the type of the community you're working with there and the type of the community that you're living with whilst you're building and potentially if you're selling the people that are going to be moving into that house or those households or those properties. You need to understand that once you have a good knowledge of that, then you know what you're going to design and how you're going to design and how you're going to approach things. Um, always um, uh, understand the people that you work with, meaning you know whether they're plumbers, uh, bricklayers or whatever. Always understand them, have some empathy, um, have a heart, work with them, don't work against them, but never, ever, ever make any decisions based on emotions Always keep emotions out of a build. Keep emotions out of business. Keep it out of builds. Keep it out of everything. Because if you let them in, then you're going to muck up, and that's guaranteed. Yes. <laughs> yes, never mix um, business with pleasure, that's for sure. Because, yes, it. Emotions. Emotions. They get everywhere. Well, Thank you so much, Helen, for all your, you know, inspiration. I guess the whole point of this podcast is to show people that there is a solution if they feel stuck with their heritage listing. Well, there is. There is. Um, look, there's always a solution to everything in life. Yeah. And I always believe, you know, nothing can't be solved. Everything can be solved. You've just got to think outside the box and you've just sometimes got to step back and think how and if you think hard enough you'll always find the solution sounds good have you got any social media on this project which we you know people could follow or not or are you thinking about maybe doing that or there will be um i haven't i've sort of kept kept it a bit under wraps um because um they they will be for sale at some point in stage and um so i've kept it under wraps at this point in stage but as i start to build and um i think I will start with first demolishing the house because, as I say, it's my family home for many, many, many years, since 1963. Now you can work out how old I am. Um, so it's going to be very, very hard for me to demolish, but I've taken out the emotions and I've accepted it and I'm moving forward. So I will. I will start from the demolishing and then gradually um, you know, work my way through every step and, and, and the building stage to completion and hopefully till auction day. <laughs> so... You know, basically watch this space where you will keep in touch with Helen to find out what her social media, you'll be using it, maybe Instagram? Instagram, Facebook. I've actually, it's in the hands at the moment of yourself, Sue, who's just done the copyright for me. Um, it's in the hands of um, my real estate agents who are doing the marketing at the moment. I hope to start uh, selling it off the plan in the next month or two. So, um, yes, once I've got the CAD drawings and the rest of the stuff, then I'll start um, putting it on social media. Sounds good. So, yes, we will have the details on our show notes once we uh, know what exactly that is. So thanks so much, Helen. Thank you, Sue. That's okay. Now, next week we have the amazing Leah Kalnan from Metro Property to talk to us about what options are available to those who have a rental dispute other than going to VCAT. The VCAT process at the moment is extremely delayed, so if you need to settle a dispute, it's an episode you need to hear. Leah is the Vice President of the REIV, so she is a wealth of knowledge on this, so don't miss it. 
Real Estate Right is produced by Real Copyright, one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting companies, and is written, hosted, and produced by me, Sue Langada, with the support of my production and social media assistant, Lisa Fisher. All information given on this podcast is a guide only and delivered to help you understand the intricacies that can happen in real estate. We recommend that you get professional advice that is designed for your own personal circumstances. We would like to thank Podbean for hosting this podcast, Premium Beat for their music, Francis Morello for his voiceover and Zoom for the recording. If you have a real estate story that is inspiring or a great how-to tip, please contact Lisa on 59778889 to find out how you can be a guest on Real Estate Right in 2022. If you would like to know more about our copywriting services, please email Lisa at orders at realcopyright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters and investors get their real estate right. Right.